This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Well, howdy, Bridgeway. It's great to be here with you this morning. It's good to see all of you here as well as those of you who are checking us out online. Uh, Really excited to dive into God's Word today. But before I do, I just got to quick say, um, wow, yesterday, Serve Day, was just an amazing opportunity for our church to shine the light of Jesus. I believe some pictures are going to show here for you as well. But it was just an incredible day. I was so impressed with just uh, the strength of our serve here at Bridgeway. We had about 70 volunteers. We had about four projects going on. We were stuffing uh, care packages for incoming freshmen, college freshmen. About 32 packages were made. Uh, We sent a group up to Metron. They spent time with their residents there, did crafts, went for a walk together. Uh, We had park cleanup. People were going through our parks, cleaning them up. About three parks were uh, just completely clean. Trash bags brought back here and dumped. And then finally, we had a car wash here on site. I've never seen so many clean cars. We washed about 30 cars here, and it just was a great day and a lot of fun. Uh, I just want to tell you, Bridgeway, this is who we are. We really believe that uh, one of the things we want to do in our community is get outside of these four walls. And so uh, we're trying to do this about three, four times a year, have these catalyst events for serving, and just want to encourage you and continue to invite you to be a part of these. I want to just say uh, thank you so much, Bridgeway. And actually, I want to ask you to put your hands together and just thank God for a great day of just being in our community together. Lots and lots of fun. So, so good. But today we're going to wrap up our Words to Live By series. It's a little bittersweet for me. I feel like uh, I've really enjoyed this series. It's kind of been a part of me over these last couple of months. I realized uh, just how much I've been thinking about these words in advance of this series. So as your pastor, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to teach these words to you. I think I've saved really the best or especially the most important word for today. Uh, but before we get into that word, I want to just um, I want to ask you a question. This might be a hard question. This might be kind of like a, a revealing question. This might be even a little bit raw. But I want to ask you to kind of frame our conversation today. I want to ask you kind of an honest question. Have you ever failed at something? What an opener, right? Thanks, Pastor G, you know. Have you ever failed? Have you ever just like fallen flat on your face? Maybe you started something and it was not in you to finish that particular project. Maybe you got into something and it was just way over your head and you just failed miserably and and you feel kind of silly for having even tried. Well, I want you to know this morning you're in good company. In fact, history is dotted with epic failures of people. In fact, uh, just a few on this slide. Uh, The black and white is Winston Churchill. And of course, he was the British prime minister that uh, spoke out against Hitler and Nazi Germany Uh, But did you know that Winston Churchill, and we quote him all the time as a great leader, but did you know uh, he failed grade school? (laughs) Not once, but twice. In fact, uh, there's all these notes from his teachers saying he'll go nowhere, he'll do nothing in his life, and look at him. Another guy, kind of seems to be a theme, you might know this guy on the bottom, Steve Jobs. He, uh, He actually failed college, dropped out of Reed College, and of course then went on to start Apple, and then of course Apple went way downhill, and he had to resign from Apple. They called him back, and he resurrected the company. He gave us the iPhone, right? I mean, gave us this incredible piece of technology. We now don't even use our phones as something to talk on. It's now something we look at, and Steve Jobs, failure. Last guy you probably don't know, this uh, Beaker guy up on the top, his name is Jonas Salk, and he was a world champion failure. He failed 
200 times at trying to find a vaccine for polio. It was literally the 201st attempt that he got it right. And so you can see that success oftentimes is a very long journey, but it requires the path of failure. Now, let me ask you again, have you ever failed? And maybe, maybe not as glamorously as these guys. Like your story doesn't have kind of this happy ending to your failure. You've failed. And even just me saying the word, you just kind of shudder a little bit because you think, you know, ouch, pastor, that's something that occurred way, way back in my past and you're sort of digging up old wounds. Or maybe it happened just recently and you're feeling like I was trying to kind of put that away. And yet it's important that we go into our failures to understand the incredible power of the word we're going to learn today. Maybe you failed professionally. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you lost the business. Maybe you missed out on a promotion, but that failure stings. Maybe you failed relationally. You had a friendship and things got tense and rather than reconcile, you kind of allowed the friendship to fizzle. Maybe it was a friendship. Maybe it blew up in your marriage and it just feels like that failure is hard to overcome. Maybe you feel like you failed as a parent. You got to a point with your kids and something happened and then now there's just this kind of this gap, this bridge between you. And what I want you to know today is that there's something we can do with all of our failures. In fact, the word that you're going to learn today is a word of great hope. In fact, I, I want to give you today a place to take all of your failures, every single one of them. In fact, the title of my message and what I really want to talk to you today is, is about the remedy for all failure. I want to give you a place that you can take all of those failures. And to do that, uh, I want to introduce you to someone who's, again, a world champion failure in the Bible. And so if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 21. Uh, I have been just digging into the book of John, and this is the very last story in the book of John. This is the very last uh, episode in the book. And I wanted to fast forward to this story because you're going to meet an individual that, frankly, if I'm honest, it's hard to sum up all of his failures in this series, in this message time. He had so many failures. And the person that I want to introduce you to is a guy by the name of Peter. Now, let me just say, first of all, we're going to talk a lot about his failures, but he did get one thing right. In fact, I'll give you the one thing he got right first. And it had to do with a conversation that, that Jesus initiated with Peter. And he said to him, Peter, who do people say I am? And it was the one time Peter got it right. He said, you are the Christ. And in that, he meant you are the Messiah. And Jesus responded. He says, you got it right, Peter. I am the Christ. And on this testimony, I will build my church. In fact, this becomes the moment when Peter really gets his name. His name is kind of confusing. As we read through the story, you're going to see him referred to as Simon Peter or Peter, son of John. And it all has to do with this testimony he makes. Because in this testimony, Jesus says, you are no longer Simon, but I'm going to call you Peter. And Jesus is kind of using like a little sleight of hand. He's actually kind of playing with the words because the word Peter in Greek means rock. And he's saying, he's saying, Peter, you're now the rock. And on this testimony, I'm going to build the great rock. I'm going to build the church on your word. And this is it. This is the one time Peter gets it right. The rest of the time, it's sort of like Peter just has this kind of this continual adventure in missing the point. And so Jesus meets him, and he's a fisherman, and, and he's all about fishing. That's his thing. He's fishing, fishing, fishing. 
And Jesus calls me, tells him to, to drop his nets and to come follow me, and I'll teach you to fish for people. And that seems to be just such a hard thing for Peter to come and recognize. It seems like the parables, whenever Jesus tells a parable, it just goes right over Peter's head. There's a moment when Jesus is calling the children to come and, and to come to him, and, and Peter is actually annoyed by the children, and so he's trying to keep the children from Jesus. There's a moment when Peter's on the boat, and Jesus comes to him, walking on the water, and, and invites Peter to come and to step out, to walk on water. And Peter takes one step, and then begins to sink. Jesus has to rescue him, and Jesus says the famous words, Oh, you of little faith. That is not a compliment by any means. There's another point where Peter kind of has this, this inside look at Jesus, and Jesus takes him out, up onto the mountain, and Jesus is transfigured into all of his glory. And in this vision, he gets the sight of heaven, and it's, it's not just Jesus, it's Moses and Elijah. And, and as Peter does best, he just puts his foot right in his mouth, and he says, oh, wow, well, this is like a great party. I'll put up a tent for Moses and a tent for Elijah and a tent for you. He just totally misses the moment. It seems like Peter, though, saves his biggest failures for the night just before Jesus was crucified. They're in the upper room, and Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And Peter, the only one who says, no, Jesus, I, I won't let you wash my feet. I must wash your feet. And Jesus has to explain to him, Peter, unless I wash your feet, you have no part of me. And then Peter again goes, well, then wash my whole body, you know, top to bottom. And Jesus just is rolling his eyes at him, just cannot get this guy to get anything right. In fact, Jesus says to him, Peter, you will deny me three times. And Peter's adamant, no, even though all will desert you, I will never leave you. And Jesus, of course, captured and he's tortured, and he's taken to an unfair trial in the middle of the night, and that's the moment of truth for Peter. He gets put on the spot. He gets asked three times, hey, aren't you with him? Don't you know him? Aren't you part of his group? And each time, Peter says, no, I never knew him. And that's kind of the, the last moment we get with Peter uh, until the very end of the story, because Jesus is crucified, he's hung on a cross, and on the third day, he's resurrected, and he's back to life, and yet there's still this difference, there's this gap between Jesus and Peter that needs to be discussed. And so Jesus seeks out Peter, and once again, he's failed. He's not fishing for men. He's back out on the boat, and he's fishing. He's taken up his old job of fishing. And Jesus calls him from shore, have you caught any fish? And no, we haven't caught any fish. Well, throw your nets on the other side. And as soon as they do that, they catch all these fish, and Peter remembers, it is the Lord. Jumps in the water, swims to shore, and then Jesus says some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture to Peter. He says, come and have breakfast. And they begin this dialogue, and this is where I want us to enter the story and learn the one word that we need to learn today. John chapter 21, starting in verse 15. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. 
Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. You know, there's places in scripture where you read through and the narrative kind of seems like it just needs to be there to move the story along. I don't think that's the case in this narrative. I think these words were very deliberate. They were very focused. And I think this moment was actually very tense. These are some of the most pointed but also loving words that Jesus could engage in with Peter. And Jesus has kind of this way in which he's asking this question, Peter, do you love me? And he asks him again, but Peter, do you love me? And then a third time, Peter, do you love me? And this repetition isn't just for like a dramatic effect. He's actually wanting to take Peter deeper and deeper and deeper into his own failure. As hard as that might be to, to believe, he's actually taking him deeper. And this is the pathway. In fact, this is the word that I think we learn from this story. And the word that I would want you to take today is the word grace. See, grace is the one place that can handle all of our mistakes, all of our failures, all of our problems. Grace is the place where we bring them. And that's why in this story, we see this remedy. It takes some time to work through Peter in these questions. It's this gift that God is willing to meet us wherever we're at. Whether we recognize it or not, all of our failures, big and small, can be brought to this place, can be brought to a point of grace. Great author, uh, I picked this up from a long time ago, a guy by the name of Philip Yancey. He says these, these beautiful words. He says, grace like water flows to the lowest point. And I think that's why these questions are being repeated by Jesus. Jesus doesn't want this grace, to just kind of be a surface-level conversation with Peter. He doesn't even want it to just be kind of at, at a middle level. He wants grace like water to flow to the lowest point. And you think about Peter, three denials, numerous failures. And grace still needs to flow deep. Grace that flows deep into every part of who he is and what God is going to call him to do to feed his sheep and to feed his people. Now, I'll be honest with you this morning as your pastor, I, I actually kind of wrote this sermon as almost like a bait and switch because I'm talking about failure this morning, but actually I'm talking about sin. And let's just be honest. I mean, if it's on a billboard, you know, sin doesn't really attract a crowd. I mean, it does attract a crowd if we were to gather together and talk about someone else's sins, right? Like that's, that really is a lot of fun to do. It's not as much fun when we have to address my sin and your sin in an honest and heartfelt sort of way. That's when things kind of get real. In fact, we don't even really like to talk about sin, and most often what we do is we, we don't talk about kind of the sinful side of us. We talk about what? We talk about how good we are. In fact, one of the best ways people use to describe themselves or to describe someone else is what? Well, he's a good person. Well, she's a really good person. And we use that language to kind of cover over maybe the amount of sin that we all have and we all know that we have in our lives. I was having a conversation this week and it kind of, it's been hard because the conversation didn't go the way I had wanted and it was with someone that I didn't know super well, but I found out in the conversation this person, you know, we had a very different backstory and this person didn't believe in God. And I was trying so desperately to get across this idea of grace and love and and how God works in this incredible way. And, 
And this person just was clear, like adamant back at me that there was no room for God in his life. And no matter how hard I tried to just talk about the foundation and the offer of God, this person was just clear time and time again. And so I, I kind of took a step and I said, well, so what about like after you die? What happens? Do you believe in heaven? He goes, oh, I fully believe in heaven because I'm a good person. And so there you have it again. You have this desire to sort of make up for sin with just being a good person. In fact, I think not in our, in our day, not only just being good, it's something to be good, but it's something else if we can kind of say that we're actually pretty prideful about our goodness. In fact, I was looking at a study that was done in 1950, way back in 1950. In 1950, 12% of Americans um, self-disclosed that they thought that they were very important people, okay? So 1950, 12% say, hey, I'm a VIP. Now, that study was redone in 2020. Care to guess, do you think that number went up or went down? It went up. In fact, today, about 80% of Americans would self-designate, self-disclose that I am a very important person. And the question is always, Compared to what? I mean, good person, very important person, compared to whom? Compared to a holy and perfect God? How do you measure up? How does your goodness, your VIP status, compare to a holy and perfect God? And I said, I'm talking about sin this morning, so all this week was just horrible as your pastor. I got to be thinking about my own sin. I was actually trying to keep track of my own sin. Actually, a little sin tracker, like a little sin-o-meter, trying to keep track of my sins. I gave up really quickly. I'll just tell you this. Uh, I tried to keep track, and let's just say I just throw a number out there. It won't be right, but let's just say on average, your pastor sins 10 times a day. You probably sin that much too. That's probably conservative figures, right? 10 sins a day, 10 moments of selfishness, saying the wrong thing, getting it wrong. Let's just, can we all agree on that? We probably sin 10 times a day. Well, do the math on that for a moment. 10 sins a day, that would be in a year about 3,650 sins. Now we'll round up, we'll just use square numbers. In 10 years, that would be what? 36,000 sins. And let's just say, you know, you live to an average age, somewhere in your 70s, I'm going to give you the first 10 years sin-free. We'll just call that age of accountability. We won't count until you're 10 years old, your sin against you. So 60 years, that's about 216,000 sins. And then you die, <laughs> right? And you and your 216,000 sins stand before a holy, imperfect God. Do you think that something else is needed? Do you think that maybe you need a different way out of this jam? And here's the reality. When it comes to sin, the, the truth is that you are more sinful than you could ever dare imagine. And you are more loved than you could ever dare hope. And I'm a pastor, and I'm here to tell you this morning, this is the mystery of grace. I wish I had some sort of you know, fancy doctoral answer to tell you how this works. But this is the mystery of grace. All of your sin can meet all of God's grace. And it kind of happens for Peter in this, this conversation, in these questions 
and responses that he gives. Because grace has got to flow really, really deep into Peter's life. And so look back at this with me for just a moment. In John chapter 21, look at verse 15. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And we're going to spend most of our time just talking about these words love, but this kind of clause at the end, more than these. Scholars really get excited about this, and they, they've tried to kind of like understand what does more than these mean? Like, does he mean Jesus is looking out, and he's seeing all these other boats, and all these other fishing companies, and he sees this little village, and he's saying, Peter, do you, do you love me more than all of these people with insight? He might mean that. Does he mean, Peter, do you love me more than fishing? I mean, it's the first thing you went back to uh, when I went on that cross, you went back to fishing. Or does he mean, do you love me more than these guys, the disciples? You know, there's 11 of them now, right? Do you love me more than these? And it's a good question. And you would have to kind of guess that the way Peter was always so outspoken about his faith and his love for Jesus, that he probably is kind of looking at him to sort of rank himself against the rest of the disciples. And either way, the response is so quick, right? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But this is kind of like, Two trains on the track go in different directions because they're having a very different conversation about love. And this is where kind of our English language, it kind of um, misses, misses what's being said here. But there's really two different words for love in the Greek language. And when Jesus asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus is using the most beautiful form of love. He's using the word agape. And agape means unconditional like no limits sort of love. Jesus is saying, do you love me with no limits? Kind of like, would you take a bullet for me, Peter? And the way Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. <laughs> but this word love that he uses is a lesser form. In fact, it's the word filio. It's where we get the word Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love. And so they're having this conversation. Jesus asks, do you love me unconditionally? And Peter responds, you know I love you like a brother. <laughs> well, he asks him again a second time, Peter, do you love me unconditionally? Yes, Lord, you know I, I love you like a brother loves a steak and cheese Philly sandwich, right? Like that's the kind of love I have for you. And then it's only in that third question where Jesus more or less says, okay, Peter, I get it. That's the extent, that's the limit of your love. But this agape, this unconditional kind of love, is the kind of love I have, and it's the kind of love that I think you're going to learn in time. C.S. Lewis has a, a great, great thought on this. He talks about grace, and I think this is where Jesus is trying to bring Peter into grace, into what grace really offers, this unconditional love. And, and C.S. Lewis says it's like when you come to Jesus, all you want is it's like saying, Jesus, will you fix my roof? And what Jesus wants to do for you is he wants to move you into a castle. And I think that's the way our sin works. We come to Jesus and we're like, Jesus, just fix my roof. Just fix my sin problem. Just fix my failure. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants to do so much more. He wants to give you. He wants you to live in his castle. God wants to do so much more through you and in you. And it requires the only way, the only pathway is through grace. Now, Peter would ultimately receive that grace and he would learn this unconditional love of Jesus, and he would share this unconditional love, and he would share the love of Jesus so much that it would get Peter in hot water, and Peter would face uh, his own death, martyrdom. In fact, he fall, fell victim to one of the most brutal Roman emperors, Nero, and Nero executed him. 
Uh, but he first executed Peter's wife and Peter's child. And then when it was Peter's turn, Peter said that he was not worthy to be crucified like his Savior Jesus. And so he asked to be crucified upside down. That was Peter's story, and that was his journey in grace. Let me ask you this morning, how about you? How about your love? Are you all in, full-on, agape love for Jesus and for what he's done for you? I love these words from Paul in Ephesians 2, verse 8. He talks about kind of the exclusive nature of grace. He says, it's, for it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Grace is always this gift. It's nothing that you can earn. It's nothing that you could do enough to, to achieve. It is the gift of God. And it's exclusive. And it's only through Jesus. See, I think the greatest enemy is is this idea of ought, that we think that there ought to be some other way through our path of sin, and there is no way. Grace beats everything. It beats every ought, even thinking that I ought to be a better person, I ought to be good enough, I ought to be a better spouse. Grace pays the bill. So my question for you this morning, as simple and as clearly as I know how, is just simply to ask you, have you received this grace? And I want to ask it kind of in the way uh, that we've looked at in the story, has grace really been able to go deep into your life? I, I know you hear, the, you hear the option of grace and being saved, and you think, yeah, 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 that was a, a one-time thing. I, I did that back when I was a youth. I did that when I was a kid and I went to camp, or I did that at worship service. And, and the reality is, is grace isn't ever flowing. It's like, it's like a river. It's always flowing. And we always have this need to let grace go deeper and deeper into our lives. Kind of this idea that, you know, if you're a saint, then, then you know that grace is like rocket fuel. You just need it to kind of burn and fuel your life. You need it every single day. So my question for you is, have you received it? Or are you kind of in a place right now where maybe like Peter was, where your love has limits? And you're reminded this morning that sometimes, you know what, I'm, I'm fickle and I'm selfish and, and my sin and my failures are always before, you, before me. And I want to remind you that grace comes and grace flows. Grace upon grace is available to you. If you're here this morning and you've just never received that gift of grace, you can do so very simply by just saying, you know, I, I admit, I accept that I am a sinner, that I am a failure, but I believe that Jesus has set me free and I commit my life to following him. I want to give you an opportunity this morning just to receive that grace. And if you already have, to just let that grace flow a little bit deeper into your life. So the worship team, Charles and the team, are going to come out and lead me. And I just simply want to pray for you. And then they're going to play a, a special song for you as well. So if you would bow your heads with me and if you would just pray. Heavenly Father, wow, I just think of this word grace. How grace just pays the bill of all my sin, of all my error, of all my wrong. How you come to us, God, in the form of Jesus. And you come not to beat us over the head with our sin to rescue us with this ocean of love, and that's your grace. God, I just pray that you will move here in our hearts and our minds. I pray that you will expand what we know and what we experience, and especially today, what we feel about the grace that comes down in Jesus into our lives. For anyone here today who's never received that gift of grace, I just simply want to give them an opportunity to just say in their own words, and in their own heart, Jesus, I give you my life, a sinner in need of rescue, and I commit in this moment to follow you from this day forward. It's as simple and as important and as profound as that. 
and then to just continue on in a life of worship and love and following after him. God, we love you and we praise you. We're going to give you our song, our voice this morning and lift your name high in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide. 